Hey, Next on the T Nation, thanks for tuning into this segment of the show featuring my conversation with Dr. Bob Jones IV. Yes, he's the grandson of Bobby Jones. He's a clinical psychologist, a sports psychologist, and just one of the wonderful people you get to meet in this life. I really cherish this conversation and my relationship with Doc. He's a wonderful supporter of the show, which I can't thank him enough for. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy this segment. I want to start out tonight by reminding you about our friends at the Macklemore, which is a private resort located just south of Chattanooga, high atop Lookout Mountain, Georgia. It's a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta, Nashville, and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the United States by Golf Digest. The 18th hole, as a matter of fact, is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world. A second course, the Outpost, is now under construction, which will open summer of 2024. The Outpost is another Bill Berg and Reese Jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge, with every inch of that edge filled with a golf hole. A world-class hotel, Cloudland Lookout Mountain Curio Collection by Hilton, will open spring of 2024. Both the course and the hotel have incredible views into historic Macklemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. You gotta see it to believe it, folks. Stay, dine, and play golf above the clouds at Macklemore. Go online to macklemore.com to book your stay and play package today. Now let's talk grips. I want to tell you about Lampkin grips. Every shot, as you know, has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus black grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability with their fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel on your hand shouldn't. Lampkin. Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about the all-new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want. Distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit them online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. Okay, now back in making his ninth appearance with me is Dr. Bob Jones IV. Doc is the grandson of Bobby Jones, as you'll recall. He was born and raised in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, which is located in the very western part of the state near the New York state line. He now lives just northeast of me here in Atlanta. Doc has a bachelor's degree in English literature, a master's in divinity, and a doctorate in clinical psychology. He's now working as a sports psychologist. Doc has been a wonderful guest on this show over the last many years. He's a great supporter as well, has come to mean a great deal to me, both on this show and in my personal life. And I am very excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Doc, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, it's a real pleasure to be with you as always. I appreciate that very much. Doc, we're we're on the heels of the PGA Championship. Wanted to get your thoughts about what you saw over the course of the tournament. Well, I'll tell you what. I thought um I thought Brooks just played absolutely just super golf. And you know, the sad part is is that uh, he almost became the secondary story. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I thought Brooks was just super, super solid. And it's great to see him back in the winner's circle again. But, you know, I'll tell you what I think um, a real winner 
uh, of the tournament was was Oak Hill. That renovation that they did, or the restoration they did, restoring it to the way to a more classic Donald Ross design, absolutely was super. It looked great. It played tough. It was a true championship test. Doc, I want to get into a lot about what we saw from Brooks, but before we do, you mentioned he almost became a secondary story, and and I don't know if you meant that a secondary story to Oak Hill or a secondary story to what we saw from Michael Block. Oh, I think clearly from Michael Block. I mean, I, I was watching the tournament. I, I did not get a chance to see as much of the tournament as I would have liked, but I was watching it when Block came over that uh, that bridge to go down to the first tee. And I mean, everybody was going crazy. I mean, he, here he is playing with Rory McIlroy, and he's the one getting all the um, all the ovations. And then, you know, he gets out there and, yeah, he had a little bit of a tough time on uh, on that final round. But then he gets to what is it? to Fifteen and, and just jars it for an ace. I mean, you just couldn't script anything better than this. Yeah, I tell you what. To your point, when that ball went in the went directly in the hole, and and he seemed incredulous, like he couldn't believe he didn't see it or wasn't sure. And he asked Rory, and Rory hugs him and tells him yes. And then how we saw him finish up with that up and down on eighteen for the par, and the way the fans went crazy, I thought that was one of the greatest golf stories I've seen in my life. Oh, I agree. And you know, the part I, I thought was absolutely hysterical is apparently Brooks went up to him afterwards and said, Hey, I hear you're buying drinks. Which, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was awesome. It was Doc, a good it was a good event. Doc, for those of us who watched the Netflix documentary Full Swing, we saw a different side of Brooks Kepka than I think that we thought existed. I mean, the injuries that resulted in poor play over the last couple of years seemed to have him losing confidence in himself and thinking that he would ever be able to win a golf tournament again. And not only did he do that on the live tour, but then he comes close at the masters. And then obviously this past weekend, but I wanted to get your thoughts on not just Brooks's kind of turnaround of his career, comeback, whatever you want to call it, but really the power of what self-confidence can do to our success. Well, I think, um, I think that the amount that that belief in yourself can accomplish is um I mean it's just you you just can't put you you just can't put a value on it. Uh I'll give you an example of what I mean. I was working with a player uh, about a year and a half ago who was playing in uh one of the developmental tours. And and we were talking and he said um and he said to me he said, you know, I just get so frustrated with myself. And, and temper was a big issue for him. <clears throat> and I said to him, I said, well, let me ask you a question. And I said, who's the number one player in the world? And at the time, it was Scotty Scheffler. And that's what he told me. I said, now, let me ask you, what shot does Scotty Scheffler have that you don't? And he paused for a moment and he said, well, none, really. I said, then what's the difference between you and Scotty Scheffler? Why are you on a developmental tour and Scotty Scheffler is the number one player in the world? What's the difference? And he said, self-confidence and his belief in himself. I said, that's right. That's right. And you see, 
that's the difference it can make. You know, when you have an injury, and bear in mind, when you have an injury, especially when you're a professional athlete, you know, what that means, Chris, is that means that your very body, which is the thing by which you make your living, has been damaged. And that's a tremendous blow, not only to your, um, uh, not only to your sense of physical integrity, but to your sense of your very self. And that's a that's a tremendously difficult thing for athletes um, for athletes to have to deal with. And and you know this is the thing that that amazes me. When I first started doing sports psychology over, gosh, twenty years ago now. I always thought that the thing that I would be spending the most time working with athletes on is self-confidence and uh, mental process and developing routines, all of that stuff. If you had told me 20 years ago that a large percentage of my my sports practice would consist with injury recovery, I would have been absolutely shocked. But, But that's... But that's exactly how it's turned out. And, you know, see, that's the thing. For an athlete nowadays, because of the demands that are placed on them by their sport, by what they have to do for training, the question is not if they're going to get injured at some point in their career. The question is going to be when are they going to get injured in their career? And how will they then develop the tools to deal with that and to restore their belief in themselves? Doc, it's, I'm sort of reminded of the the group America song Tin Man when he talked about Oz never gave him, you know, nothing to the Tin Man that he didn't already have. Self confidence, mm-hmm. it's something that's in us. How do we unlock it so it can come out? Boy, that's a that's a bit of a tough one. I mean, well, w- one quick solution is you could hire me, but uh, <laughs> but there you go. Leaving that leaving that aside for the moment. I think the best thing that people can do to help with that is, you know, uh, to do things like put a put a carpet out on your a putting carpet out on your floor and practice three, four, five and six foot putts until you get to the point where you're just making those things like you can't believe and go outside in the yard with a seven iron and just take some nice, slow practice swings, making sure your rhythm's good. In other words, do some of the things that help you physically um, have some sense of mastery over the game of golf. But then beyond that, the ability to sit and to do meditation and to learn how to visualize yourself playing golf, um, those, those are some things that are absolutely unbeatable for the average guy or lady to develop a, a sense of confidence in themselves uh, when they're on the course. And Doc, one of the things that I think we've seen from Brooks over the last couple of months is it seems like the switch has been flipped with this self-confidence because, you know, he, he like I say, said earlier, he won on the live tour the, the week before the masters and he goes to Augusta nearly wins there. And now obviously wins the PGA. He very, very quickly became Brooks again after not seeming to have the thought that he could win again. And I, we, we know about the bad knee injury that he suffered, but mm-hmm. sometimes all we need, it, it feels like is a spark to turn things completely around. And it seems like not only did he get healthy, but he got that spark. Talk about our self-confidence and, and maybe just all we need is that one little thing 
to happen and go our way. And then all of a sudden, everything completely flips. Well, that's exactly correct. And I mean, and, and, and actually, there's not much to really talk about because you actually just said it really, really well. All of a sudden, sometimes all we need is that little spark. Sometimes when you're out on the golf course and things aren't necessarily going all that well, uh, all of a sudden you hit this putt and you think, ah, oh, geez, I didn't make that thing. And then all of a sudden it takes that curl and goes in the hole and bang, there's that spark. Um, or for the professional athlete, as you said, you know, he has an experience at the Masters and that probably proved to him that, yes, he could really do that again. And, and there's the spark. And it's that way really for all of us. I mean, and it's not just it's not just um, in terms of sports or a, us as athletes, but that's in our lives as well. That sometimes, you know, we're going through a really hard time, a really difficult period, and then a little spark comes along and all of a sudden you're chugging down the road again. Um, so you, you never really know. It, it's, it's one of those things. It's hard to say how to get it, but uh, something you and I have talked about before, what we can say is we can say what can keep you from getting it, and that is anxiety and temper. Those two things can uh, basically act as like um, uh, fire hoses on any spark that can develop. So the more you can stay calm, the more you can stay in the present moment, the more you can stay aware, then the more open you are to that spark when it occurs and it will occur doc switching gears just a little bit yep. phil has showed us twice recently that being over 50 doesn't mean you can't compete with the young guys out on tour i i know some I know. of that is due to what great shape he and the guys on the champions tour are in now versus maybe what what they were in several years ago but how much of that do you attribute to attitude to a change in mindset that being 50 plus no longer means you're over the hill. I attribute quite a bit to it, Chris. I really do. And, and, and the reason why I do is, you know, what's the old joke now that um, uh, 70 is the new 50 and, you know, six, 80 is the new 60 and things like that. Who knows? I think when you look at people like Phil, like Brooks, and like a lot of these guys on Champions Tour, uh, boy, oh boy, I'm beginning to think that... Um, 50 might just be the new 30. You, you said it right. They're in good condition. They still hit the ball really, really well. Their mindsets uh, are still solid. Um, and they just go out and they just play like they've played all their careers. And in some case, even better. Not getting off the golf course a little bit. It, it seems like our world has become a much meaner place over the last several years. Social media can be a very negative space. We hear about mass shootings almost daily now. Do we have a dramatic rise from what you've seen in mental health issues in our country, or do you think it's something bigger than that? Um, well, that's a tough question. But I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my, since you asked, I'll give you my opinion. I think it's a mental, I think there we do have more mental health issues to a large extent that is a result of what we've seen in the pandemic, um, where people have been kept in so such extreme isolation for long periods of time. But I think the issues are more complicated than that. Um, I think um, 
I'll be very candid. I think that a lot of the problems that we're having now is the result uh, of us being in a culture and in a society that has spiritually lost its way. Uh, we have uh, become a culture that um, that has embraced um, that has embraced a secularism that is just grounded in nothing. And things that are grounded in nothing tend to have people um, feeling quite hopeless and without purpose in their lives. And anytime you have that kind of hopelessness, that kind of lack of uh, lack of purpose, then depression and anxiety and and even anger, because all of those emotions have to come out somewhere, and oftentimes they come out directed against um, against others. Um, sometimes others that are totally innocent to the circumstance. So I guess what I would say in summary to that, Chris, is I think that what we're dealing with in our culture, in our society, really in some ways, it's, it, it is a head problem, but it is also very much, if not more so, a heart problem. How do we get it back, Doc? It just, to your point, it does seem on some level like we are wandering around aimlessly. And in our country, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to get into, you know, politics and things of that nature, but it, it just yeah. feels like that we don't have a sense of direction. We can't get our arms around this thing. We, we keep thinking that uh, someone is going to do something from a law perspective, and that never seems to material, materialize. Yeah. How do we get it back? You know, Chris, of course, as you know, I'm a Christian. Yes. And I believe very, very, I believe um, in all my heart, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I believe that the Prince of Peace is the only one that offers peace. And I know that sounds really harsh and that there are going to be a lot of people say, oh, what do you mean? What do you mean? I mean exactly what I've said. And the reason I know that is because I know the peace that has come into my heart and how my life has changed. And the kind of person that I used to be before I met Jesus and the person that I am now. Now, people may say, well, you know, that's not for me. And, and that's fine. That's fine. And I would never impose that on anybody. But what I would say is this. The Lord has made a huge difference in my life. And I've never known a person who has been touched by him, that who he has not made a big deal and made a, made a major change in their life as well. So um, to me, that is the only solution that I have found that ever worked to deal with all the um, nasty stuff that lurks in my heart. He's the only one that can change it and make it new. Thank you for that very much. For yeah. those of us, Doc, who struggle, with getting nervous if we're going to play in a tournament. Maybe it's just our own member member. Maybe it's our own club championship. Maybe it's our first tournament as, as a junior player. What are some of the things that you talk with your clients about regarding being nervous or dealing with anxiety going into a tournament? Well, first of all, I think nervous is very, very normal. And that's the first thing I always tell them. Nervous is extremely normal. And I would be shocked if anybody would be uh, doing any of those events and not feeling a certain amount of jitters and nerves on the first tee. I always like to tell people a little story about my grandfather. 
he had been he had just been eliminated from the, the United States Amateur in 1929 in the first round. And he was invited by Dr. McKenzie to play at Cypress Point. And when he got out there, he was he found out there were 500 people waiting on the first tee that were uh, looking to see him play. This was supposed to be just a private little event. Well, Bub was playing against a young, well, not against, but with a young man named Lewis Lapham. And uh, Lewis was a really fine player. But finally, uh, after about three or four holes, he turned to my grandfather and he said, Bob, how do you play in front of all these people and not be nervous? And Bub looked back at him and said, well, Lewis, I will tell you, playing in front of all these people makes me nervous, terribly nervous all the time. But the trick is to not let them know it. Wow. And I think there's I think there's a lot to that. Here's one of the greatest golfers in the history of the game saying very straightforwardly, nerves are just part of it. This is just part of what you have to deal with. So I always tell people, take a nice deep breath, feel the nerves, understand that the nerves are there because you're right where you want to be. And then go ahead. Take that nice deep breath and let her rip. Stuart Maiden used to say to my grandfather, Rob, hit the hell out of it. It'll come down somewhere. <laughs> That's great advice. It is, isn't it? Doug, speaking of nerves for your grandfather, did your grandfather ever talk to you what it, what it was like for him in the midst of winning all of those tournaments in the 20s and certainly the Grand Slam year of 1930? We, we've heard stories of the pressure he was under when people were almost literally betting the farm on him winning. Do you ever talk about what it was like for him to try to deal with that? No, he never did. Um, he would not discuss um, he would not discuss golf, per se, with me. Not so much, I think, because he didn't want to necessarily talk about it. But at the time, Bub was dealing with his illness. And so he focused very strongly in the present. In other words, he approached his illness the same way that he would approach golf. However, he did write volumes, uh, not volumes, but he wrote, oh gosh, at least 50 pages on what playing in these tournaments was like for him. He said, you know, when he was a young boy of, you know, 14, 15 years old, he'd go play 36 holes in a tournament. And, you know, when they had the lunch break in the middle of the day, he'd sit down and he'd eat a big sandwich and a big bowl of ice cream or two. But he said, you know, as the nerves started to wear on him by the time he hit his mid-20s, um, uh, by the time he hit his mid-20s, all he could have is a piece of dry toast and a cup of tea because his stomach couldn't tolerate anything else. And then by the time he got to the Grand Slam uh, but in 1930, he actually said that the experience of tournament golf is like trying to run away from something but you just don't know what had to be brutal for him to try to do. It was. With all That's why he quit at 28. Yeah. Doc, just a couple more before I let you go. And and you're sure. involved with some great charities and foundations here in or yeah. around Atlanta. Talk about the things you're doing there. Yes. Let me tell you, we are uh, as a family, we are getting ready to launch uh, a centennial celebration, which is going to start. Uh, is going to start actually this summer with the um, with the hundredth anniversary of Bub's first U.S. Open win. That'll be at Inwood Country Club, and we're going to be doing a commercial venture that is a centennial celebration of all of Bub's wins 
leading up to the celebration of the Grand Slam in 2030. That'll be the 100th anniversary of the Grand Slam. And uh, this, will be, uh, this will be a commercial venture. We're going to sell uh, sponsorships and licenses to different corporations that we feel embody the values uh, of our grandfather. And it is our plan to give uh, 20% of what we net to the Bobby Jones, Chiari, and Syringo Maelia Foundation. And we're hoping that this will be a, a rather sizable sum for them because we really want to help them uh, find a cure for this, this, uh, this disease that claimed the life of our grandfather, but also uh, afflicts uh, 3 million people at any one time in the United States. Most people don't know that that many folks suffer from Chiari and Syringomyelia, but they do. And we're going to make a difference in that. That's awesome. Yes, sir. Doc, one more. And um, the Macklemore is one of my partners here on the show. And um, for me, I, I feel sort of a spiritual thing, particularly when I get to the 18th hole, which is a one of the greatest holes in, in all of golf. But mm-hmm. I, I know you've played the golf course and wanted to get your thoughts and what you've uh, what you've thought when you've been out there at Macklemore? Well, I'll tell you what. You're right. That 18th hole is absolutely breathtaking, especially if you're like me and you tend to move the ball right to left, because you you know what you don't realize when you stand on that tee is you've got all the room in the world on the right, but you don't have much on that left side because that's the side of Lookout Mountain, and it is absolutely a breathtaking golf course. I have always said that. If there is one complaint that I have with Macklemore, uh, it is the 18th hole is so dramatic that it almost makes you forget that you have just played 17 unbelievable golf holes. I mean, it is, um, it is, it's a beautiful location. It's a great golf course. Uh, when I was there, they, they had not done all the building that they've done now. But uh, I look forward at some point to getting back up there and playing it again. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful experience. Yes, it is. Doc, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you online or it's on social media? Well, they can always find me. Um, they can always find me on my webpage, which is drrobertjones.com, drrobertjones.com. Or on Facebook, I do have a professional Facebook page, which is Robert T. Jones the Fourth, and then it's M D I V P S Y D, Master of Divinity, Doctor of Psychology. Doc, it's always a privilege to get to spend some time with you. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I hope I get the privilege of running into you later this year at the Tour Championship or before, because it's well, always a treat to be together. Let's make it happen. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed our getting together last time, and uh, I'll look forward to seeing you out there again. And we need to make number 10 happen, too. Ah, absolutely. Doc, take care. All the best to you and your lovely wife. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks, Chris. Take care of yourself. You too. Thanks, Doc. All right. That is the great Dr. Robert Jones the Fourth, one of my favorite people on this planet. Um, Every time I've had the privilege of spending time with Doc, it it is something you can feel the spirituality in the air around him. He has a very calming and soothing way of being, and that 
kind of emanates from him and, and, and embraces you when you're together. He's a very wonderful, loving man. And uh, I've had the privilege of being around him a couple of times. And it's, it's just, it's spectacular. And one of the great interviews that I've seen, and I've gone back and rewatched it several times, Scott Lehman is a, is a friend of this show. He and Doc did an interview where they were out walking the golf course together and, uh, and just talking about a, a lot of different things. And it's out there available on YouTube. I highly encourage you to go out there and search and watch it because it is going to touch your heart and touch your life. It made a difference in mine. And that's why I say I go back and rewatch it from time to time. Um, but both of those gentlemen are just outstanding human beings. And uh, like I say, I hope I get the privilege of getting to spend some time with Doc again out at Eastlake and at the Tour Championship. We spent some time last year. I'm looking forward to doing it again this year. And obviously, like he says, he's been on the show nine times. Hopefully, uh, we get the privilege of making it 10 a little bit later on this year. 